Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Uh, before we dive into this Monday edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast, we want to remind you, you can get VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com and 247Sports.com for $1 for your first two months. $1 for two months, $9.95 thereafter. Uh, inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all our content across 24-7 Sports Network. It's not just us, everybody. Uh, you get access to people like Eric, me, Kevin Wade, Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman. The list goes on and on. Uh, ex- exclusive recruiting coverage, uh, great message board. Uh, and after your two months of your promo price, uh, when you go back to paying regular $9.95 per month, you get access to CBS All Access. It's the streaming platform that has 10,000 shows, movies, live sports, all commercial free. Uh, that comes free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. So, uh get that out of the way. Now we can get on to the show. Eric, uh, it's a Monday. Uh, it was – we're transitioning our Mondays from a podcast of recapping Oregon football games each week to now Oregon basketball, men and women. So this is going to be uh, a very uh, Oregon basketball-centric podcast on Mondays and – Perfect week to start this because boy, there were fireworks on on both sides of uh, the candlestick here with with Oregon men and women having some big outcomes and uh, some surprising outcomes. Yeah, the, the Arizona schools did not disappoint, and I think if you're an Oregon fan, you really don't like playing Arizona State in Tempe anymore because that seems like the last couple times uh, Oregon football and Oregon now women's basketball goes down there, there's a disappointing result. But uh, yeah, let's jump into it. I think. Uh, I think we learned a lot about both programs, and I think games that uh, you know tell tell kind of a, a di- tell a little different stories for each program. But um, but again, I think we also learned some lessons and, and some things to look forward to going forward. Yeah, let's start with the men. Uh, they were ranked ninth in the country last week. That should go up uh, after this podcast is released. Um, they played who at the time was the 24th best team in the country, Arizona. They're going to drop out. Uh, they played that game in Matthew Knight Arena Thursday night. ESPN, Bill Walton, Dave Pash were here. Uh, good crowd, largest crowd of the season at Matt Knight Arena for the men. Uh, just under 11,000 fans. And that was a game in which it looked ugly because it did not look good the way that the game started. I think Oregon trailed seven or nine to zero early on in this game. Uh, it did not look positive in the final few minutes of regulation as Oregon trailed by six. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, though, hit a step-back follow-away shot around the key to tie the game at 66 with about 10 seconds to go. And then uh, he blocked a shot against Arizona Center uh, to send the game into overtime, which is just a crazy dynamic. Uh, and, and then with about 25 seconds to go in the game with a one-point lead for the Ducks, uh, they turned it over in their own backcourt, and Arizona scored. Josh Green got a layup to go up 73-72, and Will Richardson raced down the court, beat Arizona's defense before they could get set. He said they were uh, some guys were still celebrating the basket, and he took some body contact from Stone Gettings, still fought through it, made a basket with about eight seconds to go, and that ended up being the the final outcome. Morgan walks away with a 74-73 victory uh, in overtime against the Arizona Wildcats, and honestly, like. I, I think this is one of the best games that I've seen at Oregon the last couple of seasons. 
and it was probably um, Peyton Pritchard's biggest win, I think, as kind of the guy at Oregon at at home. Like uh, eliminate his freshman year because he was not a go-to guy on that team. Yeah. Uh, and ever since then, he's kind of been the guy per se, like on this on this squad. Like he's this is his team. And I think this was his biggest win at home uh, in his three years since uh, of being the guy. I would argue at Washington was probably his biggest win in his career, probably. Um, maybe the year before that, but you know when they beat that DeAndre Ayton team uh, yep. at home, but in overtime. But Oregon didn't make the tournament that year. Um, they weren't very good that season. I I, I just look at. The way he's elevated his game, he had 18 points, six assists, seven rebounds. Uh, he played all 45 minutes of that of that game against Arizona. Um, I think this was one of his more impressive wins in, in his career and individual performances. What What about the Michigan win? I'm just just throwing out other games. Maybe that that's was, a, yeah. I mean that's a, that's a big one too, no doubt. Uh, that's that's probably the bigger game between the two, but um, at home. Uh, right. I, I think this is probably his his biggest win at home. And, and you talk about Pritchard, and I, I know we'll talk about the, the the Saturday game as well, and how well he performed in that one. But it just seems like somebody who's elevated his game so much over the course of his career. I mean, you think back to when he was a sophomore, and there were some fans that maybe weren't the biggest fans of how he was playing, and even as a junior last year before he kind of got the team turned around. And I think to see the the evolution to where it is now where he's a legitimate Pac-12 player of the year favorite he's a legitimate national player of the year candidate and maybe a favorite if you look at some of the different services i forget if it was ESPN or or, or stadium or, or one of those that had him as one of the top 2 or 3 guys for the wooden award um the last week or so uh, it just seems like he he's having a special senior season and i wonder Matt if he can keep this up and maintain playing at this level where where will he go down in terms of players that you've had the privilege of covering at Oregon in terms of the basketball side, just from like a career perspective? I'm not like asking you to analyze and compare. Oh sure, from a players, career, perspective. but yeah, from a career perspective, he's going to be close to the top, I would think, if he can finish this season out strong, right? Yeah, I mean he's he's going to end his career as the most winningest player in program history. Uh, I think he's in the top ten in scoring. He's going to be the, the I think the program's all time leader in assists. Uh, he will play the most games, I think, at, at, at Oregon in all time. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, from just eliminate the, is he a pro? Is, is, you know, how talented individually is he? But just from what he's accomplished and the teams that he's played on, I mean, a Final Four team, a Sweet 16 team. I mean, I think this, this squad is good enough to get to the Final Four. Yeah, he's probably going to be the most accomplished player at Oregon that I've covered in the last 10 or 11 years of Oregon basketball. I mean, he's certainly going to be the most accomplished player that's played for Dana Altman. Um, I, I think his game and, and the lore of Oregon history will, will go up if he can get this squad to a final four and or if he can finish as an All-American. Because I don't think I, – I, I never looked at him when he showed up as a freshman and what we saw of him as a freshman. I never thought he was going to – and then as a sophomore even. I never thought he was going to be an All-American uh, player of the year candidate. I thought he was going to be a really good college basketball player. I mean, he's 
he's going to play. I mean, he's in the NBA draft mock draft by ESPN's draft express. I mean, he's, he's elevated his game so much that he's included in that now. I mean, that's how good he's playing. Uh, and, and so I, I think, yeah, he could be the best player, uh, to roll through Oregon or the most accomplished player to roll through Oregon, uh, in the last 10 or 11 years. And you just look at the growth that he's had this season. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he has seven games this year where he has 20 or more points, uh, in, in a game that, that in of itself is very impressive. Uh, there's only one game this year where he has not scored in double figures. That was an Alabama State blowout win, 98-59. He just didn't have to do anything in that game. He played 26 minutes, uh, and I think that's the fewest minutes he's played all season by far. Uh, and, and, but then more importantly, you look at what he's doing as a senior and his minutes are the same as last year, 35 minutes per game. His shots are up almost four shots per game. Uh, he's shooting more three pointers than he did last season. He's shooting more free throws than he did last season. Uh, his importance on the team is up even more because he has to get everybody going. And yet he's having career numbers. I mean, he's shooting, uh, the best field goal percentage he's shot in his career despite increasing his shot selection. His three point percentage is almost as good as it was as a sophomore. He's 1% behind that. His free throw percentage is getting up there to being close to where it was last year as an 83% free throw shooter. His rebounds are up. His assists are at a career high. His rebounds are at a career high. Uh, his steals are at a career high. Uh, his, obviously his scoring is significantly up from last season. He averaged a uh, tenth of a point behind 13 points per game. He's, you know, 19 points per game. So like it's, it's amazing to, to see that because Usually when you play more, your role increases, kind of your stats go down a little bit. And for this season, for Pritchard, they've gone up. And I also just think we, we, we should take a second on Will Richardson when we're talking about the Arizona game. I know we're going to jump ahead to the Arizona State win as well, but um, it seems like he's somebody who we've also seen elevate their game a lot. And you've now got three or four guys in the backcourt that can light it up pretty good with you. You know, I, I don't think this is new for Richardson, but this was his best game yet. Um, but you, you look at the way he's playing. Duarte's been really consistent over the last, what, five or six games in double figures. Anthony right. Mathis is pretty up and down. Um, it, you know, it seems like either he's really effective as a three-point shooter or he's kind of a non-factor. And maybe there's a parallel, and we'll talk about this on the women's side later, with Aaron Boley, where she's either going to hit five or six threes or she's going to be sort of a non-factor. But it, it just seems like offensively the men, it, most of it comes from the backcourt. Is that something that you think, is sustainable? Do they need more from the front court? Because you look at the way they've scored in this weekend in particular, um, just didn't get a ton of production from their bigs. Yeah, and I, I think Okoro is he's he's had his issues uh, scoring the basketball this season. I think he had some off-season injuries. I think that explains a lot of maybe uh, the stunted growth that we've seen from Okoro this year. Um, he dealt with a foot injury, and then he dealt with. Uh, I believe it was a foot injury and he dealt, he's dealt with a shoulder injury the whole season this year. Um, that's kind of limited what he could do on the practice court in the important times of the offseason where they get a lot of their skill development. Um, and so Coro really hasn't taken that next step that I think we all were, were sort of expecting because, uh, you know, he's averaging four points, five rebounds a game. 
still solid defender, still solid rebounder, um, but his scoring has not taken that next step. Uh, I, I think Shakur Justin, uh, teams are starting to realize he can't shoot jump shots. He can't shoot three pointers. And that's a little bit different from an Oregon perspective because for the most part, we've always seen this Oregon team under Dan Altman deploy a, a, a power forward that can shoot threes. Maybe it's not his best skill set, but he can at least be a respectable three-point shooter. And Justin is not that. He shoots 5% on three-pointers this five, season. 5%. Five, five <laughs> yeah, that's not ideal, Matt. That's not ideal. No, no, no. It's, it's not, it's not ideal. And so we've seen, what we've seen is when Okoro and Justin are out there together, um, we've seen that, uh, Oregon, you know, teams sag off both of those guys and it really, really stresses the impact that Pritchard, Duarte, and then if it's Mathis or if it's, you know, Will Richardson or if it's Patterson, whoever's out there, uh, really has to be on their games because teams can basically sag off two of the, of, of the five players out there. I think that's why CJ Walker's emergence before he got hurt was so important because he's shooting what you would think, 33% from three, a respectable number where you have to honor it. You can't just give him the completely wide open three point shot that Arizona and Arizona State did with with Justin. And then the long, you know, the next part of this long answer is I wouldn't be shocked if Infale Dante in the next month is in the starting lineup. It it may even be in Pullman on Thursday. Um, I don't think that, but the way that Okoro struggled to open Pac-12 play, I think Dante is he's he's getting into better shape. He's figuring things out a little bit better. He's, Altman has said that they still need to work on his rotations defensively, um, and they need, he needs to know what they're doing defensively. But uh, his ability to score when he's on the floor is, is unmatched by anyone else on 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 this roster. I mean, he shoots Dante shoots sixty one percent. I understand it's seven game sample size, and he, he hasn't you know he hasn't attempted a ton of shots. But uh, it, it, you look at the stats, though, and 61% field goal percentage, uh, pretty, you know, pretty darn good. He was 36 shots in seven games. That's, you know, about, what, seven shots or six shots per game. Um, pretty, pretty close. You know, she's shooting 61%, pretty, pretty darn effective. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now just on a per game perspective. He's, he has not shot below 50% in any of his games. So he's been pretty effective and, and did have 10 and 5 in the Arizona game. Do you want to run through Arizona State really quick too and then we can switch to the women? Or... Yeah, I just think that was a game in, in which Arizona State plays very helter-skelter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to r- run the ball up and down the court and quick shots and get you out of your movements and, and whatnot. And, you know, Oregon won that one 78 to 69 and, you know, the, the spread was 10. They won by nine. So not, you know, Arizona State covered. Uh, but I think, um, the issue here is this, like what Dana Altman said was that they missed nine free throws and they make seven or, or six of those. And all of a sudden you're looking at a game that it's a 15, 16 point game and Oregon looks, you know, this win looks much, much better than it did. And that goes back to what Altman said after the Arizona game is they've got so much to work on. Um, that this team is, that's what excites him is that this squad beat a really respectable ASU team. You know, and, and 
there was no real threat, I think, the entire game, start to finish, that Oregon was going to lose. Um, and yet they probably gave like a C-level per, you know, performance and still found a way to almost cover a uh, double-digit spread, which is, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, Pritchard with 29 points, that's a career high. Duarte with 20 in that one. I, it's kind of been a weird weekend, though, because Arizona State, I believe, they beat Oregon State, and then Oregon State blasted Arizona yesterday. So who knows who's good right now in the Pac-12? It's kind <laughs> You're of right. Stuff. I um, was on the radio on, on Pac-12 Networks with Mike Yam Friday morning after the Arizona game and and went and proclaimed that Arizona and Oregon were by far the two best teams in the league. And Arizona, nailed it. And, and lays a dud and gets smacked by almost 20 points at Oregon State. Um, that's just I – mean, I, I think that's the difference between teams like Oregon and teams like Arizona and probably Colorado now is that Oregon and Colorado are – uh, experienced teams and they know how to, you know, turn an ugly, an ugly performance into a win. Whereas new, you know, young teams like Arizona, whose three best players are freshmen, have to carry the squad. They're going through this for the first time and, you know, maybe they had a little bit of a letdown and it, it, it cost them. You, you look at the men's Pac 12 standings and, I, it's interesting because Stanford's three and zero. I don't think anybody expected they'd be at the top of the conference. Oregon's three and one. Colorado, USC, and Cal in California. You look at the roster. I don't know how they're two and one, but um, those are the only teams with winning records. And you still have Arizona, UCLA, Arizona State, Washington, Utah. Those are some pretty decent teams there that are one and two. It seems like it's kind of kind of cloudy right now in terms of, of who the the top competitors are outside of Oregon and Colorado. I think those are going to be the teams. From, from my perspective, at least, that are, that are pushing for the conference championship. Do you agree with that, or are, are there other teams that kind of stand out for you right now? Um, well, Washington losing Quade Green hurts them. I mean, they've, they've really struggled, uh, the last two weeks. I mean, they got swept by Stanford and Cal. Uh, Arizona certainly has taken a step back. So yeah, I think Colorado and Oregon are looking like, you know, the league's two better teams in the conference. We'll find out Colorado plays. Uh, Arizona on Saturday, so we'll get a real good barometer of where Arizona's at in the first three weeks of the season because they crushed Arizona State, they got crushed by Oregon State, they lost in overtime to Oregon. Uh, now they play the Mountain Schools this week at home. Um, we'll, we'll really see what happens from that side of things, uh, and from also for Colorado. I mean, they beat Oregon, but then they lost at home to to Oregon State, and then this past weekend they played one game and just straight up dominated uh, a Utah team that's pretty young. So we'll see what it's like at home too. So we'll we'll see what it's like for Colorado when they go on the road to play two quality opponents. But I mean, I think it's it's Oregon and it's a revolving door of, of who else in my mind. Just really briefly, it's funny on Oregon State that they've beaten probably the better team on each of the last two weekends right. and then lost to the other team. Uh, kind of hard to explain that one, but, uh, I think the, well, that's the are... difference of tournament team, right? Like a, a tournament team and, and that's going to have a, a top eight seed, you know, one through eight. Obviously Oregon State's not going to be a one seed, but, no. you know, but that not, and that's the difference of a team who safely gets into the tournament and a team who has to fight and claw their way in and, you know, hope, you know, things fall their way. Like, Oregon State losing to Arizona State was just killer for their tournament hopes. Yeah. No, it was. And there, and that's a, the, I mean, I look at Oregon State's roster, and this is not an Oregon State podcast, but I look at their roster, and uh, this is Tinkle's last year. This is Kyler Kelly's last year. This feels kind of like maybe the last run in a, in a minute here for them because 
uh, not to be too critical, but their recruiting efforts have not been as good recently as they were three or four years ago when they got the Thompsons and Tinkle. So um, this feels like a really big year for, for Wayne Tinkle and his son to try to get this program uh, to, to the tournament probably for what could be the last time in, in a couple of years. So it's kind of interesting, you know, following what's going on in Corvallis at the same time as, as what's going on in Eugene. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer. Scopel is with me as always. Recapping the week in basketball for both the men and the women. Uh, and f- it was an exciting time for the men at home uh, because they got two wins. They improved in conference play. They're going to move up in the top ten rankings. Exciting time for the women as well on the road, but probably for di- different reasons. Uh, I watched the first half of the Arizona State game on TV, you were covering this one. And I left and figured they were going to win. And then later on that night, I checked Twitter, saw that you posted the the game story, and, oh, upset. Yeah. It, it, it was a strange weekend, especially because I thought the program and the team had really elevated its play at home, beating a – Colorado team that had not lost all season by basically 60 points, and then a Utah team who's not quite at that level but pretty good by about 40 points. And I was like, okay, they're ready to roll. And then they go down, and they have a really, really difficult time in the desert. You know, they end up splitting it, and we'll talk about both wins in a second here. But, yeah, starting with that Arizona State game, it was a weird, weird game. Um, Oregon never was able to really create separation. I think part of that in the first half was because Ruthie Hebert got in foul trouble, and she only played eight first half minutes, and Satu Sabli got in foul trouble, and I think she only played 12. So your two best front court players only played a combined 20 of the 40 possible minutes um, in that first half together. That that kind of slowed things down, but they still led by double figures at the half, and you're kind of feeling pretty good about where things are going. They're still led by double figures going into the fourth quarter, and you're feeling really good about where things are. I mean, Oregon, with the, with how accomplished this team, with, with the veterans on this team, up 10, going into the fourth quarter, that feels like, okay, well, they're going to win this game. I don't know if it's going to be by 20 points or four points, but they're still going to win. And yet Arizona State turns around, and a lot of credit to Arizona State for how they performed offensively in that quarter. They were nine for, like, 15 from the field, five for six from three. They, they scored 30 points in the fourth quarter. Oregon only scored 14. And a game that looked, like I said, like very much like Oregon was going to close it out, went the complete opposite way. And... um so it was basically Sabrina Nescu all the way through the fourth quarter. It was basically, can she get a basket? And she was able to get her baskets almost every time down, but Arizona State was hitting a bunch of threes. Like I said, I think they had five threes in that quarter after, I think they were like four for 22 from three in the first three quarters. So they just kind of found a rhythm there in the fourth. Um, and, and Oregon just didn't have the ability to match them basket for basket, not even close. Like I said, outscored 30 to 14 in that quarter. Um, and they end up falling. They just couldn't, they just couldn't get the baskets and they just couldn't stop. Arizona State, and um, I think if, if you're an Oregon fan, you come away from that game really confused, but then you see that Arizona State a couple days later upsets Oregon State as well. Um, the Sun Devils are, are no joke, and I think this this conference as a whole, you look at it, it's there's no easy outs. I mean, there are maybe a couple, maybe the Colorado-Utah games that we saw, those are pretty easy outs, but there are a lot of really, really good teams in Arizona State who was kind of being slept on. Because coming into this weekend, they were 1-2 and two in Pac-12 play. They lost to Arizona. They lost to UCLA. Um, they, they looked like a team that was, was probably going to make the tournament but is maybe a, a lower seed now. 
you know, we'll see where they're ranked in the polls here, but after beating uh, both Oregon schools at home, they could jump into the top 15 range just from those wins alone. And, um, good, it's good for the conference, not great for Oregon, but, you know, I think it probably wasn't the worst thing in the world to be challenged like this. Um, I know Coach Graves before the home games to start Pac-12 play had really challenged the team to kind of, hey, get their head on their shoulders, right? It seemed like they responded great because, like I said, they just blasted both the mountain schools, but, uh, maybe they needed to be challenged a bit like this. They hadn't really been in a game that was competitive like this since that loss to Louisville. Um, they did not perform well down the stretch. But we should say two days later, they kind of figured it out in a very similarly played game through three quarters against Arizona where it was back and forth, back and forth. Oregon could never really put the, the Wildcats away and really never separated. They won by seven points, 71-64. But it was down the stretch. They made plays. It was Sabrina Inescu once again. She... Finishes with a triple-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. And I should say, through three quarters, it was probably the worst game I'd seen her play just from an offensive perspective. She had she finished with six turnovers. She she finished 5 of 12 from the field, but she scored 11 of her 17 points in the fourth quarter and 11 of the last 13 for the Ducks. So she really put it together. She put the team on the back late. Um, and, again, that's a very quiet triple-double. If you if you followed the game and you watched the game, it wasn't like she was lighting it up. She was very, very slow um, early offensively. It seemed like she was having a hard time kind of uh, getting past Arizona defensively. But, again, credit to her and credit to, you know, just the sort of player that she is where, you know, she can struggle for three quarters of a game and then figure it out in the fourth quarter and score some really difficult baskets in traffic. She had an and-one that was crucial to get them up. Uh, I think from three points to six points with a couple minutes to go. So uh, they end up with a split on the road, which is obviously after you lose the first game, best case scenario. Um, also make sure that they don't, you know, I mean, losing two games like that would honestly hurt their Pac-12 championship uh, aspirations. You know, it's early or on. Or even the, the, even the one seed in the West. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, and, and the one seed in the West with, Arizona, with Oregon State losing, I think Oregon still will probably be projected to be there, but... You're right in terms of like their their postseason seeding. I mean, one thing you know I was saying after the Arizona State game was this game doesn't mean a ton, a ton. It's still early January. You look at Oregon's schedule; they've got some tough, tough games coming up. But if they would have lost both of these games, that could have actually been pretty significant in terms of how they were perceived. And also, you just kind of wonder what the psyche of the team would have been. But um, crisis averted. They end up splitting the weekend. Uh, they're still three and one in the Pac-12. Uh, still right at the top of the, of the conference, uh, currently behind UCLA and Stanford, who are unbeaten. They'll face Stanford on Thursday, so that'll be an opportunity to change that and catch them in the standings. But a, a strange weekend, a weekend I'm not sure I expected. I kind of thought they would go on the road here and, and pick up two wins. I think that was <laughs> widely expected, but um, you know, at least they end up with with the split. And, and I think the Arizona schools are showing once again that they are very, very difficult outs. And like I said, there just aren't a lot of easy ones in this conference right now. There are some teams that aren't quite at that level, but um, the the top half of the conference, you know, night in and night out is going to be a dogfight, and I think this weekend really showed that. What is, is – was this weekend – because I remember watching the ASU game on replay, and then I watched the Arizona game on replay when I got home from, you know, spending some time with some family out of town on Sunday – yeah. Um, and it just felt like they were off. Like their sink was off. I mean, Sabrina airballed three shots against ASU. Um, Aaron Bully hasn't shot the ball really well. Um, 
I'm, I'm just curious of last year's team was unreal because they basically had seven players and they had, you know, maybe eight and, you know, everyone had, everyone got a good chunk of minutes and they just steamrolled through everybody. But the downside of that was it felt like at the end of the year, the team was gassed and you could tell that in some, in, in some pressure situations that they would wear down a little quicker because they were tired. Um, cause they had to log so many minutes all year. Yeah. This season, you know, Graves is playing nine, 10, sometimes even 11 players. Uh, and I, I wonder if the rotations are going to start shrinking a little bit now that the meat of the conference schedule is here and the league itself is so good. Like, do you think that's a, a factor or is that just a, a, a one week? Hey, it's just, you know, they're not robots. They're human. They're going to have off days. I think it's a, probably a mixture of that. And I think the other thing that stands out is, is that I think Oregon really misses what my take Zorla did offensively in terms of, and I don't want to slight Minyan Moore. Minyan Moore is a better defensive player. Minyan Moore is a, a very good passer and a, and, and a capable player, but she's just not a shooter. She can't make the open three-point shot at a very high level. Um, she's not really much of a threat to score in general. I think she scored six total points this weekend. Okay, I guess it was seven. Because um, Zorla, for, you know, for better or for worse, was a very capable three-point shooter. She was capable of, of putting her head down and driving to the basket. And I think they kind of missed that from the backcourt. And, you know, we've seen Jazz Shelley, Taylor Chavez, and Holly Winterburn have moments, but they're all still young players, and I'm not sure they're quite ready for some of these big moments. And what we saw to me, was really uh, apparent in both those games was that when the game kind of got, you know, down the line, it was basically let's put the ball in Sabrina Ionescu's hands and let her. And, and that's not a terrible strategy, by the way. That's like she's the best player in college basketball. Like, yeah, that makes sense to do that. But it didn't feel like she had a lot of help is, is kind of what I'm trying to say. It felt like it was, all right, let's drop the Sabrina play and let's see, let's have Sabrina go one-on-one and, and get a basket. And you know, seven times out of ten that might work, but in a game like Arizona State where they're just red hot and you can't stop them, um, I mean, Sabrina was keeping them right back and forth with Arizona State until she missed a couple jump shots in consecutive possessions, and Arizona State continued to score, and that's where Oregon ended up losing that game. Um, you know, she sh- she took 19 shots in that game. She took only 12 against Arizona, but she took 19 shots against Arizona State. The next most was nine, and that was by Hebert uh, and Sabley. I just think they, they need to find a fourth scoring option because you look at the way they're scoring right now, it's really Sabrina and then it's Ruthie and Satu. Um, and those are the only players that are really putting up decent numbers. And I, I think I mentioned earlier comparing Anthony Mathis to Aaron Boley. They need Aaron Boley to get going. Um, you know, she is such a, was such a key part of this team a year ago in terms of stretching the court, hitting three point shots. She, you know, one of the best sharpshooters in the country a year ago, she shot 43% from three and she was taking like eight or nine three-point shots a game. This year she's shooting 35%. Um, she's not shooting as many threes. You look at the way she started Pac-12 play, um, she's not making very many shots. I mean, she was 0 for 5 from 3 against Arizona State. She was 1 for 3 against Arizona. Um, she has her high in, in Pac-12 play right now. It's 10 points, and that came against Utah. Um, she just hasn't really been quite what she was a year ago. Last year she averaged 12.5 points per game. Right now she's only averaging about 8.5. So I, they, they need to find another scoring option. Um, but I think you could be right in terms of like they, they they might also have too many cooks in the kitchen almost of you got you got to find maybe 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 one of the three guards that we we're talking about of Shelley Chavez and Winterburn one of those three maybe their role lessens quite a bit and they only are playing a couple minutes a game here and there and if they if they show something 
you roll with them a little bit, but if they don't, you kind of just, that's kind of all they're going to do because I do think getting, and to me, Chavez would probably be the player that would, that would play the biggest role from those three because she is a little bit more experienced. I thought she played really well defensively against Arizona. She had three steals in that game. She played 26 minutes. And we should say they did kind of cut Winterburn out a little bit. She barely played that game. She only played six minutes against Arizona State. So maybe we are already seeing that start to happen. But, um, yeah, I, I think there are some things that, that Coach Graves is going to have to to think about. And one just overarching thing from this weekend is they have to do a much better job of protecting the basketball. They turned it over 17 times against Arizona State. They turned it 17 times against Arizona those are huge numbers for a team that has as good a ball handlers and as backcourt players as Oregon has. I mean, Satu Sabali turned it over eight times against Arizona State. Sabrina Nescu turned it over six times against Arizona. Um, those players are far too good to be turning the ball over at that clip. And I think both the Arizona schools kind of showed the roadmap against Oregon of how you compete with those teams. You've got to really pressure them on defense. And I think you're going to see that be the trend going forward. I think that's also how Louisville really pressured Oregon. Um, earlier this season and in the game that they won. But you can't just sit back and play kind of a, a soft defensive game plan against this team. you got to press them, you got to get up on them, and you got to force them into uncomfortable situations. And, again, I don't want to just make this all about Mignon more because I think she's a great player, but I think they do miss Magda Cazorla in terms of being that kind of veteran presence with the ball. You know she was going to be pretty reliable. She wasn't going to turn it over as much. I think that part's kind of missed too. Well, the the spacing on the floor is has changed because yeah. Mignon can't shoot three pointers at a consistent rate. It's just like what I was saying earlier about on the men's side with Shakur Justin is that you know last year Oregon had for the women had four girls that could be out on the perimeter with the threat to score a three point shot, and this season it's only it's three, and that allows you to to, to play some defenses a little bit differently than normal. And, uh, it's gonna open the door where, you know, they're gonna have to figure out some, some new things, um, uh, of how they're gonna score, how they're gonna get at, uh, you know, you know, attacking teams, uh, from an offensive standpoint. Now, this is also a big week, like you said, uh, Oregon has Stanford on Thursday, Cal on Sunday, and then the Beavers uh, back-to-back games on the 24th and the 26th, the Friday and a Sunday. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, We're going to learn, right, where this team is at, if they're the Pac-12 champs or not, after the, these next two weeks probably? Absolutely, these next two weeks. And then don't forget that they have UConn on February 3rd. They've been, I mean, the, this schedule here is, is something else. Then they host the Arizona schools, and then they go to UCLA, who currently is ranked eighth in the country. That'll They'll move up uh, in this week's polls on the February 14th. So over the next month, they play – I think three of the top four, sorry, four of the top eight teams currently, an Arizona State team that just beat them, an Arizona team that took them right to the last couple of minutes on the road, um, yeah, and and then a bunch of these ranked teams. So it is a loaded schedule. You're going to learn a lot. I mean, they play, they do have Cal at home. That's a game that's very winnable. They do have the Mountain Schools on the road. Those are, I think, very winnable games based upon what we just saw at home. But yeah, you're going to learn a ton about this team over the next month. And you're right, over the next two weeks. In particular, those two games with uh, with the Beavers are going to be massive, massive women's basketball games in the state. I expect both games to be sold out. I think they both already are sold out. I expect those to be awesome atmospheres you're talking about, and we'll see what happens with Oregon against Stanford, and I guess Oregon State against Stanford because they both play um, the Cardinal next week. But if both schools take care of business, you could be looking at two teams ranked anywhere from, I don't know, top four, top five in the country playing each other 
uh, over a two-game stretch in the state. So that's going to be very, very fun. But you're right in terms of uh, this Oregon team has been challenged a little bit more than I think anybody expected. I mean, when they went out and beat Team USA uh, back in November in an exhibition game, I mean, that was a team with the, the best players in the WNBA. And you kind of looked up, and I wrote it afterwards, of like, they might be a team that could run the table this year and just win every game. And that has not been the case. They lost to Louisville. They now lost to Arizona State. Um, they still have some things to prove, I think, in terms of how they can compete this season. And I think there's some stuff to correct. And I'm sure this is going to be a very intense couple of days of practice um, for this team as they prepare um, for Stanford on Thursday. Because that's going to be a absolute rock fight. I mean, that's going to be a tough, tough, tough basketball game. You look at Stanford. Um, they're 15 to one this year, four and zero in Pac-12 play. Um, they are absolutely legitimate, and that's going to be a very, very, I think, telling game for this program. The fact that it's at home is big. They played really, really well at home this season. Um, and if you're living in the, you know, in the area, that's a game that you should be at if you are, are a big basketball fan because you're going to see again two of the best women's basketball programs in the country duking it out. And again, you look at the schedule. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to watch this team play really, really good teams in the next month. Uh, real quick, Charlie Crean for ESPN.com has released his bracketology, and he said the loss at Arizona State for Oregon was huge, uh, and the conference has now lost both its one seeds uh, in his bracketology. And for Oregon, look, they, they've gone in a couple weeks from being the one seed in the Portland region to now being the two seed in the Greenville region. They're not even in the West bracket or the Portland bracket per se. Uh, he has UConn as the one seed out in the Portland region, Oregon State as the two seed in the Portland region. And then for, for Oregon, it would be, look, they're playing in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Oregon is the two seed. South Carolina of the SEC is the one seed. Uh, you've got also Stanford, who's a two seed in the Fort Wayne region. You've got, uh, there's seven Pac-12 teams. Arizona State's a five seed in the Greenville region. You've also got Colorado, who's a 12 in the Dallas region. You have Arizona, who's a six in the Portland region. Um, so yeah, you, you're all over the place in terms of where you could be going right now, uh, UCLA is a two seed in the Dallas region. Um, or from an Oregon perspective, though, you're all over the place. I mean, you could be playing in Greenville. You could be playing in Portland. It, 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 you could be a two seed. You could be a one seed. And if they keep losing because they're going to play good teams, right. they could dip. No, 100%. And that's what – I mean, the, so the good news is, is A, they can – they will be a one seed in Portland if they're able to take care of business because this schedule is an absolute, like I just said, a, mur- a murderer's row. And if they can get through this with – I mean, if they, I think if they finish Pac-12 play with two or fewer losses, which means they would only lose one more time from here on out, which is going to take a ton, um, they're, they're a one seed regard. They're a one seed for sure. And, and that's especially if, if they go out and beat uh, UConn on February 3rd. But you're right. Oregon loses one game, and suddenly they're not only not a one seed in the West Coast, they're not a one seed at all. They have, they would have to go play South Carolina potentially, uh, you know, and that's a very very tough tough team. Fortunately, you know, fortunately they wouldn't be um, playing them, uh, you know, immediately. But I mean, this is a, a situation here where they now know that they've got, they've got some work to do. And you look at the schedule, and fortunately there is a lot of opportunity to move up. You know, and if they're able to take care of schedule in the next two weekends, say they. Beat Stanford, Cal, and then they sweep the Beavers. I think sweeping the Beavers is going to be very, very difficult. But let's say they do that and they win the next four games. 
they're back to being the one seed in Portland. So it's it's not like there's it's you know it, it, they're they're in a tough spot right now, but it's not that hard to get yourself out. You just have to take care of business. But this is going to be a fun season to follow. You know, you mentioned it there. I think the Pac-12 has like basically every two seed because <laughs> it's just a, it's just a loaded conference and. That provides. They actually do. Yeah, I just realized that they have every two seed. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they locked up the two seeds. They're they're all of them. So I mean, there's a possibility the Pac-12 has like two or three one seeds too. So it, it is, um, it, it's fun if you're a Pac-12 fan in terms of following this. It also means that there's going to be. I think these teams are going to be so battle tested when they get in there. I mean, gosh, you're going to be playing some of the best teams in the country week after week after week. There are no, there are only a couple of kind of down programs right now. I think the Washington schools kind of an easy, that those are easy tests. The mountain schools, I guess Colorado's better, but I wasn't particularly impressed with what I saw. Um, and then Cal and USC are both down right now. But outside of that, you're looking at teams that are in the top 20 nationally are going to be very, very high seeds. So it doesn't get much easier, but it should be really, really fun. And like I said earlier, if you're a women's college basketball fan, uh, get to Eugene on, on Thursday to check out the Cardinal, and then the following week, just be ready to watch some really, really fun basketball in-state. And those are going to be great rivalry games. Both teams want those games. You know that. And, and Oregon, for as good as they've been these last couple of years, they really have yet to to take a stranglehold on the state because Oregon State has hung around and hung around and hung around. And um, pivotal, pivotal games for that as well, January 24th and 26th. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, Thank you for listening to the show. Remind you, subscribe. We have a promo that ends on the 14th. Uh, so if you wake up on the 15th and don't haven't subscribed yet, you missed the chance. Two months for $1. All of the recruiting news for coaching scoop. We've also got men's and women's basketball competing for one seeds, two seeds, whatever, conference championships, final four runs. You can cover all of that with that membership as well. $1 for two months at duckterritory.com. And thereafter that, it becomes $9.95 per month. So for Eric, myself, Matt, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.